All right, let's take our Bibles to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9. Um, I have really enjoyed studying through the book of Acts. Um, I love uh, the Bible. Just it gets better and better. The more you study it, the better it gets. And uh, I sure love it. And uh, last week we were preaching out of Acts chapter number 8. And we talked about how the gospel will go on. And how God will let it go on through whatever circumstances may come. And how the uh, God gave the command in Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8. He said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. He said, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. And he told them both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. But up until chapter 8, up to chapter 7, they were still in Jerusalem. They hadn't even left Jerusalem yet. Uh, the gospel was still there. They hadn't taken it to all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. So God got the ball rolling. And God did it through the persecution of the church. And uh, he got them under uh, persecution and they fled. And Saul began to uh, cause havoc, the Bible said, on the church. And uh, they, they went to Ju Judea and Samaria. And Philip was there in Samaria winning people to the Lord. And uh, then God tells him, hey, look, you need to leave this, uh, this good ministry that you're doing here and go to the desert. And I'm sure that Philip at that time didn't understand why God wanted him to go to the desert. But I'm, I'm sure the Ethiopian was glad he obeyed. And uh, he got out there and uh, was, saw a man reading from the book of Isaiah and didn't understand what he was reading. And Philip saw him and Philip ran to talk to him. And uh, he got up in the chariot with him. He, first off, he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I accept a man show me? And so Philip gets up in there and he shows him what he's reading and talks to him about Jesus and tells him how he can be saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come to uh, some water in the middle of the desert, which is another miracle in and of itself. Uh, they come to some water and he says, look, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And he said, if thou believest with a heart, thou mayest. And that Ethiopian got saved. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so he got saved and then he got baptized and went down into the water and they were baptized. And as soon as they come up out of the water, the Bible says that Philip was taken away and just poof, he was gone. And he began to preach all the way out to Caesarea, all the way out to where uh, God was using him. And then here we are now uh, in verse number 40 of Acts chapter number 8. It said, but Philip was found at Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And uh, it's amazing, I, I touched at the end there and told you that uh, as we get to chapter 20 later on in a, another 11 chapters, uh, you get there, you find Philip still in Caesarea, still serving the Lord, still doing what's right. And it, it'll be about 20 years later uh, when the Apostle Paul gets there and uh, begins to, to find Philip and talk to Philip and uh, he's still serving the Lord, and that's a blessing to see that uh, he was willing to serve God uh, through thick and thin, through times, and preach Jesus no matter where he went. And uh, that's what we ought to do is preach Jesus. And now we're in Acts chapter number 9, and uh, I want to uh, read just a few verses to you. We're going to go down through the chapter here tonight uh, and talk about a few things that took place in this chapter. And uh, we're very familiar with Saul and uh, Saul of Tarsus, and you know he was making havoc on the church. And look what it says in verse number 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any in this way, whether they were men or women, 
that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. I was reading through this, and I began to think about, well, what am I going to title this message? What am I going to talk about in this passage of Scripture? And I got to thinking about Saul up until this time. Remember, uh, he was standing there, and they laid the coats at his feet when they were stoning Stephen. He was there uh, giving his stamp of approval on stoning Stephen uh, for his uh, treasonous talks or his, uh, uh, as you would say, blasphemous words that he had uh, talking about this Jesus and uh, talking about uh, people being saved and uh, all of this. And I believe that Saul felt with all of his heart that he was doing the right thing. I believe Saul felt a passion about himself that it's my job to get rid of these people, these fanatics that are causing so much problems in Jerusalem. And he's going through, and now here he is, he's breathing out threatenings, it says, in slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. And he goes into the high priest, and he's trying to get permission to go to the synagogues and to uh, go and bring people bound, go to Damascus, and anybody he finds talking about Jesus or these fanatical people that they're talking about, it, to bring them bound. And, you know, Saul was all the way causing havoc, and uh, Stephen was stoned, and uh, just causing so much problems in the church. And then in chapters, uh, in verse number 6, we see that he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And I began to think, you know, God can save anybody. God can save anybody. And that's what we're going to title the message tonight is God can save anybody. And we're going to do a little bit of a history. Don't ever feel like that somebody's too far gone for God to save. Uh, they're not too far gone. If they're not dead, it's not done. And unless they just totally just say they never want anything to do with God, they turn their back on him, just defy him, say, I'm not ever going to serve him or I'm never going to choose him. But you know what? God always wants every man to, save, to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, the Bible said, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, I don't believe in just an elect group of people. I believe God's will is for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl to be saved by the grace of God. And so let's have a word of prayer tonight. We're going to preach on can, God can save anybody. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the opportunity. Lord, we have to be here tonight. I pray to your God my mind and my heart and my thoughts. Help me to be your mouthpiece tonight. Lord, I don't want anyone to see Dan Caldwell this evening. I want them to see you uh, through the Word of God tonight. And Lord, I pray that you use the Word of God uh, to speak to our hearts. Help us to get a bigger burden to win souls. And Lord, we love you and thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. I had somebody ask me recently, why are you so passionate about soul winning? And I said, well, because the Bible's passionate about soul winning. That's why I'm passionate about soul winning. I'm passionate about winning people to Christ. Why? Because God can save anybody. You know, I remember growing up at times, there's different times that I would look at people and I would think to myself, surely that person could not be saved. 
Uh, I remember looking at different people growing up, and I remember, surely, that person too scary to talk to. You know, I remember looking at all kinds of different people, and in my mind, casting my own judgment about whether that person could be saved or whether that person couldn't be saved. I remember thinking about uh, my Uncle Dennis. I never thought he would ever get saved. I thought, you know what, if Uncle Dennis ever got saved, that would be a miracle. Well, the fact of the matter is, anybody getting saved is a miracle. Uh, why? Because we're lost and on our way to hell and uh, deserving of hell naturally because of our sin. Uh, but anytime somebody trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, it's the greatest miracle that ever took place. Something that's dead is made alive. And what a blessing uh, that is. But I was reading down through this and I thought, man, here, here is a, first off, there's a desperate individual here in this passage of Scripture. Paul is a, or Saul, as we would say, and I call him Paul because we know what happens later, but Saul is a very desperate individual. See, all this, he's causing havoc in chapter number 8. Look what it says in verse number 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any in this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's very desperate in what he's doing. He's saying, listen, I need permission to go out here and to destroy all of these people that are talking about the name of Jesus. I need permission to get out here. And man, Saul, in his desperation, is going, look, begging for permission to say, listen, I need to go out here and I need to find a way to hush these people up. And stop what they're doing and stop the talk that they're doing. I believe that he was very passionate about it, but he's very desperate. When you read between the lines here, you notice there's some kind of uh, emptiness inside of Saul that it just, it just grates against him that somebody's talking about Jesus and they're uh, talking about uh, being saved by grace through faith. And that goes contrary to everything that they have been trying to live by uh, obeying these uh, commandments and uh, these ritualistic type religion uh, things that they're used to. And he's saying, listen, this isn't right and I've got to stop it. And there's desperation in his voice as he comes to the high priest begging of him permission to go to these synagogues and to bring these people bound. And if you were to read later on after his conversion in 1 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 15, Paul is speaking to his little preacher boy Timothy. And he's talking to them about how the Lord came to save sinners. And he said, of whom I'm chief. He mentions how desperate he was. He, he brings back to mind the desperation in which he had. He said, listen, Jesus came to save sinners and I was the worst of all of them. He said, I was, I was the chiefest of all. And he began to remind Timothy that, listen, God can save anybody. And I believe in that testimony. That's what he's telling Timothy about this. He said, listen, Jesus came to die. He died on a cross and he shed his blood and he was buried and he rose again. And he did that not just for me. He did that for you. But listen, if he could save me, he could save anybody. And that was his testimony. He was very desperate in this, in this passage. He was wanting to get rid of that name of Jesus and get rid of all of these fanatical Christians and all of these things going on. But God had some bigger plans. God had some uh, bigger things in store. But you know what? God still gave him an opportunity to either choose or reject it. And we're going to get to it. I don't want to get ahead of myself here now. But there's this desperation in his voice as he's going to the high priest and he's trying to do this. And man, he's wreaking havoc on him, breathing out threatenings. 
Listen, anytime somebody's threatening somebody else, uh, there's because there's something inside of them that's missing, that's wrong. You know what? Uh, somebody who bullies somebody else, you know why they do it? Because they're their own insecurities. You know, they do things like that. Somebody who tries to threaten somebody else or tries to put themselves up on a pedestal there, there's because there's some insecurities inside of them. And there's some desperation in Saul. Even though Saul was, I believe, a very intellectual man. And uh, Saul was a, a, a very uh, well-known man uh, uh, along the way. And he was very respected. He goes now to uh, the high priest and he's in his desperation begging for him to sign some letters saying, let me go get these people. Let me go get them and bring them bound. Whether they're women, whether they're men, doesn't really matter to me. I just want to get them all out of here. And listen, could you imagine if they were to come into our church today? It didn't matter if you were a woman, didn't matter if you were a man. They bound you and took you out of here because of the name of Jesus. But there was a desperate individual in this passage, and that was Saul. But I want you to look at this divine interruption that starts in verse number 3. It said, as he journeyed... He came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. Now, this was not a UFO. This was not an alien ship. It wasn't Star Trek or Star Wars that was shining out in the sky. This was God coming to Saul. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Could you imagine being in Saul's shoes that day or his sandals that day? Could you imagine being riding on that animal on your way to Damascus to destroy the people of Jesus? And hearing, seeing this bright light shine down from heaven out of the sky and knock you off of your animal, blind you really. And then you say, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And you hear these words from heaven. Listen, there was a divine interruption taking place. See, he was on his way with these letters to take God's people and to bind them and to bring them into jail. But God had some uh, intervention to take place right now. And God was coming to where he was. It said, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? Now listen, I don't believe at this very moment yet that he knew exactly that it was God. I just knew, I, I, I believe that he knew it was some supernatural being talking to him, but he didn't know yet that it was actually Jesus who's talking to him. Maybe he thought it was an angel. Maybe he just thought it was some uh, spirit being. He wasn't really sure, but he asked, who is it? He said, who art thou, Lord? And he said this, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I always heard that phrase, and I began to think about what did that mean? Uh, It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I got to studying that word pricks, and it meant to have a cattle prod or something that would to drive cattle forward was a prick to drive them forward. Could you imagine any time Paul was, now where was he at? He was going after the church, wasn't he? And what was the church preaching at this time? Jesus. They were preaching the gospel, right? What he's saying is, he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest and you've heard the word and you've heard the gospel and the Holy Spirit of God has pricked your heart and pricked your heart and pricked your heart and you've heard these, this, this pricking of the Holy Spirit all of this time and it's hard for you to kick against it. It's hard for you to resist it because you've heard it so much because you've come after these people 
And he said this, and he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I want you to look back to 1 Timothy chapter number 1 again. And we talked about it, but I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter number 1. See, this desperate individual, when he talks about in verse 15, when he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm chief. He's reminding himself, reminding Timothy of what he was, this desperation of who he was. But he's talking about this divine interruption that took place on the road to Damascus. Look at verse number 11 and 12. And following, look what it says. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now look at verse 13. He said, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundantly with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. He's talking about this divine interruption that took place. He said, listen, he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. But you know what I was before uh, that road to Damascus? He said, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. He said, man, I caused injury to those people. I did all of this stuff. He said, and he came to save sinners of whom I'm chief. He said, I'm the chiefest of them all, but thank God for that divine interruption that took place on that day. And I thought about the day I got saved. Man, I'm glad that the Holy Spirit got in my way. I'm glad that he got in the way of my flesh and he got in the way of my, my, my desires and he got in the way of the things I wanted and he, he showed me my need was for him. And I began to think back, yeah, I grew up in a good home, grew up in a Christian home, all of those things, but I was still just as lost as everybody else is. And I remember hearing testimonies of people who had lived a very wicked life and how God had met them on their road to Damascus, whatever road that may have been, and how they understood that they were just like Saul, a desperate individual that had to have a divine interruption in their life to get them on track. And you know, God did that in uh, chapter 8. He interrupted things and uh, got the gospel spread out by persecution. And uh, God used this situation in his life as he's on the road to Damascus. I believe God understood that Paul was very hard. And he had to say, listen, man's not going to be able to do it by themselves. I'm going to have to meet him face to face. And he knocks him off the animal that he's on and that bright light that's shining from heaven. Now Saul's trembling before the Lord. And he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And he said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. So there was a desperate individual in Saul. There was a divine interruption in the Lord. But there were some direct instructions that were given at this moment in time. He tells him to arise. Get up and go to a place that I'm going to tell you. You know what? He didn't tell him, hey, 
go forward because what you're going to do is I'm going to have a man named Ananias come talk to you and he's going to uh, give you some direction and then I'm going to send you out to reach the Gentiles and you're going to be persecuted for my name and you're going to be beaten for my name and you're going to be imprisoned for my name and you're going to do all this. Now that you're saved, uh, Saul, listen, you're going to go out and you're going to endure all of this for me. You're going to endure this hardness as a good soldier. You're going to uh, do all of these. You're going to have chastenings often. You're going to have fastings often because you didn't have much to eat. You're going to have to walk uh, bent over because of being beat. You're going to be stoned and left outside of Lystra for dead, just as Stephen was stoned. You're going to endure all these. You're going to have a thorn in the flesh. He didn't tell him all of that. All he said was arise and go to a place that I'm going to show you. You know what? God never tells us all of the instructions that are going on all the way out for the future. God just tells us to go. To go. And God has a plan, and God has a purpose, and God knows exactly where we need to be, when we need to be there. But if we're not obedient to the Lord, we're not going to be in the place that we're supposed to be. So Saul gets up. Listen, I believe he's already saved right now. Say, why? Because he put his faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. When he said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest, I believe when he realized it was God, the one that he'd been persecuting, he put his faith and trust in him, and he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Complete surrender. In Saul's life. You know what he said is, I I can't do this by myself. There's no way that I realize this, that I'm wicked. I'm a blasphemer. I'm I'm a persecutor. I'm somebody that has just taken your name and, and, and really just, I'm the one that's done wrong. Not Stephen, who I watched stone. Not all of these ones that I've caused injury to. Not all of these people that I've been hunting after. And I've got these papers to go and bring these people and bring them into bondage and to uh, enslave them or injure them or maybe even kill them if I need to. I've got these. In, and God, I realize that I'm nothing. In complete surrender, he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What do I have to do, Lord? And God says, obey. Arise. Go. Get up. God didn't tell him the future. He just said, arise. He told Saul basically this, be obedient. Listen to what I'm telling you. And Saul did exactly what the Lord told him to do. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. Could you imagine the people that are with Saul? I mean, the people that knew, Brother Scott, what Saul was all about. The people that knew Saul was going to cause harm. He was going to cause havoc amongst the church. They'd seen him do it. They knew he was capable. And now here he is trembling on the ground with no eyesight, and he's talking to some voice. And they don't see anybody. They just hear him talking. They're probably thinking, man, this guy's losing it. They hear a voice and they're probably a little bit afraid as well. But they knew where he was heading. He was heading to Damascus. And that's where he needed to be. And so it said, the man that journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth. And when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. Can you imagine him feeling how weak he is now? How helpless he is now? Blinded by that bright light that was shining from heaven. Now he's got his eyes open and he's being led to Damascus by those men with him. They understood where he was heading and where he needed to go. He had orders to go there or he had been given permission to go. So these guys that are with him take him there. And he was three days without sight. Neither did he eat 
nor drink. Now listen, I don't know if that's because he didn't want to eat or drink or because he couldn't at that time. I don't know what it was. Well, maybe there wasn't anything to eat or anything to drink. I'm not sure. But all it said was he was three days without sight. Neither did he eat nor drink. So now he can't see. He hasn't had anything to eat. Hadn't had anything to drink for three days. Paul's at a weak point in his life. Or Saul is at a weak point in his life. You have to forgive me if I call him Paul. That's just what I know him by as he, uh, we read through the Bible. How God had used him in a mighty way. But we'll talk about when he changes his name and all that stuff later. But Saul and Paul the same person. But different people. You say, what do you mean? Saul was the one that persecuted the Lord Jesus because he was lost. He said, I did it in my ignorance. I did it because I didn't understand. I did it because I thought I was doing right, but I'm really not. The Lord said to him, Arise and go. And he went. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight. Actually, let's jump up. I'm sorry, I skipped verse. Verse 10. It said, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. He said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. Now, wait a second, Ananias, a disciple, he's in Damascus. Rumor been around who Saul was. They knew who Saul was. If you don't believe me, it says in a couple more verses, Ananias knew exactly who Saul was. And now God gives Ananias some orders, and he says to him, he says, I want you to get up. And I want you to go out to the street called Straight, to a man named Judas's house. He said, there's a man named Saul of Tarsus. He said, for behold, he prayeth. Could you imagine the confusion in Ananias' mind right now? The confusion that's taking place. But the fact of the matter is, God said go. God said go. So let's see, does Ananias obey what the Lord says? He said, for behold, he prayeth. Look at verse 12. And hath seen in a vision... A man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings. And the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And look at verse 17. And Ananias said, Lord, I don't think that's a good idea. No, it says, and Ananias went. He went his way, and he entered into the house. And putting his hands on him, look what he calls him Brother Saul. You know what that tells me? That tells me there's a change in this man. See, Ananias just was told from God that, hey, guess what? Saul got saved, and I've got a plan for him. 
And yeah, he might, he might have questioned there at the beginning, just to, God, can you re-explain, is this the same Saul I'm talking about, like this guy that I've heard about that, that has orders to bind us? And he goes, yeah, that's him. He said, but you know what? He's going to suffer for my name. And, you know, he has, uh, he's been chosen. And Ananias went and entered into the house. Put his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, hath appeared unto thee in the way that as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith. And look what it says, and arose and was baptized. Man, the same pattern. Isn't that amazing? Salvation first, then baptism again. He got saved. He was called Brother Saul. Shows a change in uh, destination, right? And now he's getting baptized in verse number 18. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Wow, what a change. Isn't it amazing the change God makes? Listen, God can save anybody. And what God did in Saul, God can do in you and God could do in anybody else that will call on his name. There was a desperate individual one day. His name was Dan Caldwell. And guess what? That desperate individual needed a divine interruption from God. And that divine interruption gave some direct instruction. says, for by grace are you saved through faith. There's only one way. This is the instruction. The only way for you to be saved is by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. No other way. He told me to go. He tells you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And we see this pattern. He says, listen, I want you to go and tell them and do all this. But I don't see God even telling him yet to go out and to preach Jesus yet. He just said, hey, he's going to receive his sight and all these. But guess what? He just knew he needed to tell people about it. He knew he needed to tell people about what was inside of him. And look what it says here. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received his sight, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then Saul, certain days, with the disciples were at Damascus. I believe they were teaching him a little bit there too, saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do if you're a child of God. But it said, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them which are called and this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. You know, that's just like the devil. Anytime anybody gets saved, the, the, the naysayers want to bring up their past. The people that know him, oh, yeah, really, I know about you. How, how, how come you're talking about all this Jesus stuff? You were the one that were coming to, to do this, you know? And that's why we always say, you know, it's hard to reach family. It's hard to reach people. They know who you were beforehand. They're good at bringing up your past and bringing up all those uh, things in your past. But verse 22, look what it says. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul. And they watched at the gates day and night to kill him. They were waiting for the perfect opportunity to kill him. They said, he came to kill us. We're going to get him first. And they're trying to do all this. But you know what? There was a disciple's intervention that took place right here. Look at verse 23 down through verse 26. 
And it says, when they were laying wait to kill him, verse 24, verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They were afraid. Listen, they had good, good reason to be afraid. I mean, he had stoned, been there when they stoned Stephen, caused havoc on the church. He was causing injury and binding people, and they didn't believe that he was a disciple of the Lord. But good old Barnabas. Barnabas was a good guy. Barnabas is an encourager. Barnabas is one of those guys who puts his arm around you and says, you know what? I know you may not be where we are right now, but let's get there. He's a discipler, an encourager. Look what it says, verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out in Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. Then had the churches rest through all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in fear of the Lord and in comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. We could go on and on and on, but the whole principle that we're looking at is here's a man that guess what, is unworthy of salvation. And any of us, if we were being judge, jury, and executioner, Saul would have faced the execution block. Saul would have been burning in hell today had you and I been the ones to decide. Had the other Jews been the ones to decide where he was going to end up. But God loved Saul just as much as he loved anybody else. And even though Saul was going against him, even though Saul was going against everything that these people were preaching about, even though God, uh, Saul was persecuting the church of God, God still saw beyond his fault and saw his need and knew that he needed a Savior and loved him to himself. Guess what brought him to himself? You say, was that love or was that fear? It's because God loved him that he brought fear into his life, that he showed himself. And listen, because God loves us, he reveals himself to us. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. And when he was hanging on that cross, guess what he was doing? He was dying for the sins of the whole world. My sins, your sins, everybody out in Martinsburg, Shepherdstown, all the surrounding areas. And listen, we have a job to do. God tells us to rise and go and get out there and tell them about Jesus. When Saul, his life was changed, you know, think back when you got saved. Man, that day you trusted Christ as your Savior. I've never met anybody that on the first day they got saved, they were upset about it. Man, I knew they were excited about it. They didn't really understand all there was to know other than, hey, I got saved. When somebody said, what's that mean? Uh, I really don't know other than the fact that I trusted Jesus as my Savior and I'm a different person. And you know what? Saul was preaching Jesus. Right after he got saved, in just a few days he was there, and it said straightway he went out preaching Jesus, preaching Christ. Listen, we ought to never lose the joy of our salvation. We ought to never lose it. God can save anybody. 
The fact that I'm standing up here preaching to you today is testimony that God can save anybody. The reason that you're saved in this room today is the fact that God can save anybody. And listen, we're just nobodies that ought to be trying to tell everybody about the somebody who can save anybody. And the fact of the matter is God is still in the saving business. And he still wants to see people saved. But God's people need to get a burden and maybe shed some tears over some lost souls. We have names of people that have put names on this altar at our soul winning conference. There's names in our bulletin of people that need to be saved. There's people all around our society, our co-workers, our neighbors, people that need to trust Christ as their Savior. And this is what we say, Lord, tell them to go. And tell them about Jesus. Let the pastor go and tell them about Jesus. Let the deacons go and tell them about Jesus. But it's not my job. No, it is our job. Listen, God can save anybody. And he wants to save everybody. But it's up to you and I to give them the gospel. No matter what happens. No matter how far it seems they are. Never give up on anybody. Because if they, were, if they could have gave up on Saul, they would have. But I'm glad God understood what Saul was all about. In Galatians 1, they asked Paul, how much did you persecute the church? And he said that he persecuted it beyond measure. He basically told the church of Galatia, he said, listen, I'm a nobody. He said, I I persecuted God's church beyond measure. I can't even explain to you how much I persecuted the church. But I'm a testimony of God's grace. He said, I'm the, I'm the, the least of all the, all the apostles. He said, but I labor more abundantly than them all. You know what he, he says in his lifetime? He gave testimony. He said, listen, I, I, I worked harder than all of them. But I was the least of any of them. Because I caused so much damage to the name of God. I'm going to do so much more for God than I ever caused against him. You know what? He died on an old rugged tree because of my sin and your sin. And we owe him a great debt. And that debt's to serve him with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Why, aren't God, why isn't God's house full on a Wednesday night? Why isn't God's house full on a Sunday night? I understand some people have to work, and I understand there are reasons. But for the most part, why isn't God's house full every time the doors are open? I'll tell you why we've lost the joy of our salvation we've forgotten what it was what we used to be to where we are today and if it weren't for the grace of god we'd be on our way to hell and listen that would motivate us to serve the lord paul said the love of christ constrained me it's what urged me it's what compelled me it's what drove me on listen he was testimony that god can save anybody and you have that same testimony that god can save anybody because you're nothing more than a wicked vile sinner just like i am But the difference is, once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, all them sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when God looks at you, he sees the blood, he says, justified, sanctified, forgiven. And we could all say, hallelujah, glory to God, and get up and go out and do something for him and tell other people about him. Listen, I wanted to tell Mike about Jesus today. Why? Because I knew Mike needed a Savior. I knew Mike needed something that I have that I found one day on my Damascus road that God had for me. And he changed my life, turned me completely around. And I could say to Mike, listen, God can do anything in your life. And we're testimonies of it. And we ought to be proclaiming the name of the Lord and speak boldly in the name of God. Listen, if you'll do it, I promise people will be saved. 
The Bible says, he that sows in tears will reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, will doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Why don't we weep for lost souls anymore? Why don't we cry over them anymore? People tell me, preacher, you always mention soul winning. You always talk about soul winning. Why are you so passionate about soul winning? I'll tell you why. Because in 1960-something, if a man would have came in Cleveland, Ohio, and knocked on my grandparents' door and led them to Christ, I'd be on my way to hell today. But I'm glad for soul winning. I'm glad for people that are soul winners, that are still believing door-to-door soul winning, still believe in handing out gospel tracts, still believe in telling people about the greatest thing that could ever happen to them and how the biggest miracle could ever take place. You know what would be a good way to start off? Say, hey, you guys want to see a miracle? They say, yes. Yeah. Say, watch what God can do. He can take a sinner and make, him, uh, make a dead sinner alive. He does it through the blood of Christ. And listen, I'm testimony of it today. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but I'm alive today, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we can get excited about that and, and, and get the joy of our salvation back. Listen, people will want what we have if we act like we're excited about what we have. If we're excited about our salvation, the fact is, I don't have to spend one second in hell. I don't have to spend one second there. But surely when I die, I don't have to go to hell because of what Jesus did for me. And I'm excited about that because I put my faith and trust in him, asked him to be my savior. And he did his part and said, he sh- I shall be saved. And he saved me. And my name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. I was sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, kept in God's hand. I can't ever lose it because I'm not the one that keeps it. Praise the Lord for that. Listen, God can save anybody. Don't give up on that lost loved one that you have. Don't give up on that coworker. Don't give up on that neighbor. That person says, oh, I don't ever want to hear God. My Uncle Gary, I I don't believe in God. But you know what? My kids still pray for him every night. Our family still prays for him. You know why? Because God can save anybody. God can save anybody. If you would have told folks that Jack Caldwell would have gotten saved, they'd have told you, ain't no way. That guy's too rough to be saved. But Brother Guy, he fell trembling one day, trusted Jesus as his Savior. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things were become new in Christ Jesus. God changed him completely around. And what a joy it is to know that I'm saved today because of God's Word and the Gospel. That God loved me and He gave me my Damascus Road experience. And you know what? I accepted him as my savior. There's people that hear of him and they reject him. But you know what? That Holy Spirit pricks and pricks and pricks and pricks and pricks. And you plant the seed, not everybody's going to... Some, some seed's going to fall on stony ground. Some seed's going to fall amongst the thorns. Some seed's going to fall in bad places. But for the most... I'll tell you this, but there are going to be seeds that fall on good ground. And they're going to take root. And people are going to get saved. And lives are going to be changed. Because God can save anybody. Don't give up on anyone. I'm sure if we gave opportunity to give testimonies of how, what God saved you from, we would be amazed at the goodness of God. Listen, God can save anyone. Let's go out and tell them. Because there's people tonight that are empty and broken. 
looking for ways to fill that void in their life. And they turn to temporary pleasures. They turn to drugs. They turn to alcohol. They turn to any other kind of thing to fill that emptiness inside of them. Maybe money, maybe job, maybe something else. But it's something only Jesus can fill. And they need to know who he is. And we have the truth. But we say, you know what, Lord? Here am I. Send them. Let them go and tell them about Jesus. What are they going to think of me? Here's what they're going to think. At first, people might get angry. They might get mad. But you know what they're going to think? That person really cares and believes in what they're talking about. Oh, they may criticize you to your face. But that Holy Spirit's going to prick at them. He's going to prick at them. You know, it's not your job to see people saved. It's your job to plant a seed. That's your job. It's the Holy Spirit's job to, to draw them. It's our job to introduce them to it. Paul preached Christ. Told them what Jesus did for him. And people believed. And it said, and the church grew. Why? Because God can save anybody. With our heads bowed, eyes closed.